Hi, I'm Paul Nogloz, President and Executive Director of Crisoni on the Delta. Crisoni on the Delta is a Memphis-based nonprofit dedicated to fully exploring the vital link between food and health. Each year, for the last four years, we have convened in person world-leading researchers, innovators, investors, entrepreneurs, and growers dedicated to hashing out collaborative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges in food and health. Welcome, uh, I'm Dr. Tanya Stewart, and this segment is focused on providing high-quality healthcare to disadvantaged populations of greater Memphis and beyond. Joining this conversation is Dr. Scott Morris, founder and CEO of Church Health, and Andy McMahon, Vice President of Health and Human Services with the United Healthcare, the Medicaid Division. So let's start this conversation with you, Andy. Here's our first question. I bet a few folks might be wondering why a health insurance company like United Healthcare might sponsor a forum focused on nutrition. Can you offer the listeners a little insight on this? Absolutely, Dr. Stewart, and, and great to join all of you uh, today. I think to, to put it quite simply, uh, it is clear to us that food is medicine. Uh, and as you just saw in the video, one of the things that we are doing is looking at assessments of our members and understanding their non-healthcare needs. Uh, and I can tell you, looking at the data myself quite frequently, that one of those key needs that we see is food insecurity. Uh, and so we are, are very focused in on thinking about how we can support and, and leverage and, and strengthen efforts in the community uh, to ensure not only that our members get the food they need, uh, but all the members in in, of the community get the food that they need. Awesome, thank you. Well, that takes a lot of partnership when you are trying to address things like food insecurity and that really intense community effort. Dr. Morris, you're an expert in community um, with, uh, within the church health space. I wonder if you can speak a little more in detail on the importance that partnership plays. I'm um, gonna expand on some of the things that were played out in that video. Yeah, so thank you, Tanya. So Church Health, um, you know, is located in Midtown Memphis. Uh, we're, we're in a, a building that has been repurposed. It was once a Sears Distribution Center, um, but it was abandoned in 1992. Um, but it's the same size as the Empire State Building, you know, 1.5 million square feet. So Church Health, the anchor tenant, uh, we provide health care for over 70,000 people in uh, Memphis and Shelby County. But we we can't do it alone. So uh, having partners is critical both to the work we do and uh, certainly here uh, within just our own space. Um, there's a high school, Teach for America's here. Uh, some, uh, we have a credit union. Um, one of the critical things for us that people often may not appreciate is uh, there's a very robust arts group connected to us. Uh, art is a, a very uh, powerful thing that touches people's spirits, that, that leads um, uh, to health. And then at the center of everything we do absolutely is food. Um, this concept that Andy's alluded to, that Andy's alluded to uh, uh, food is medicine. I mean, that, that is very much uh, who we are because, look, the truth of the matter is, as a, I mean, I'm a statin prescribing doctor, but all drugs are poisons. That is how they work, that they poison your body to prevent it from doing something it is naturally trying to do. 
you got to be pretty doggone smart to override the body the way God created it. You know, thank God the pills don't actually work very well. If they did everything they tell you they would do on TV, we would be killing people right and left. So food, however, is sort of the, the intrinsic nature of who we are as human beings and trying to find a way uh, to engage people around food uh, is one of the most important tools we have, but we need partners in that. And, and one of our, our great partners that was alluded to in, in our video um, is the Mid-South Food Bank. Um, and there was uh, a, an allusion to a grant there that funds a program called Nutrition on Wheels. Well, the funder of that was actually United Healthcare. Um, and our partnership with Mid-South Food Bank um, allows us, uh, particularly during the growing season, uh, for a, a bus that's under the uh, direction of the food bank to, to come on site to our space. And when patients um, leave who we believe are food insecure, they literally go not just with their prescription to the pharmacy, but with their prescription for food uh, for themselves and for that, that family um, as they leave us. I mean, this is one of many examples of how partnerships are critical in order for us to make a difference. Yeah, so important. I mean, it's, it's very clear, uh, you know, it's going to take a village to try to like, truly change culture. I wanna stay with you, Dr. Morris, on this specific topic. You said the center of everything that you do is food. And it sounds like we need some serious culture change. So getting people, well, an approach to lifestyle change, getting people to shift their lifestyle is not easy. What are some things that you're doing at Church Health that are helping folks maybe um, shift away from cooking or preparing foods that may be unhealthy? Like let's say collard greens, super delicious and nutritious without all the bacon. Um, so how do you make things still taste really good? Yeah, look, so this is the South, right? So uh, collard greens are, are a critical part of, of many people's diet that we care about. Um, but at the core of who Church Health is, I mean, we truly are a faith-based organization, um, that there's two things that Memphis has in great abundance, poverty and religion. Um, we believe that we can uh, engage both of those as a way to actually improve our health outcomes. So we, we work very closely with faith communities across the board, um, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, we don't care. Um, but food is at the, a critical, uh, uh, important factor for every faith community I know. And yet, uh, in the South, the, the least healthy meal you could eat every week is act, actually at your church. Um, in our churches, we have blessed the sin of gluttony for the sake of fellowship. Um, in the midst of the obesity epidemic in America, clergy are actually 20% heavier than the rest of the population. So one of the things we do is work with uh, faith communities to try to help their congregational meals be just a little healthier. You know, we're not trying to get them to uh, eat tofu. I don't like tofu either. Um, but we, we, so we have programs within our nutrition center that um, was pointed out in our video where we bring church cooks together. Um, we, we offer uh, ongoing classes for them to be able to cook healthier congregational meals. And, and then we work with clergy because um, you, you can't have a healthy congregation if you don't have healthy leaders. Um, th these are all very much uh, ways that we believe that in some ways our healthcare system just doesn't 
see the value and the power that the faith community has to change behaviors. That's amazing. So, right, it's it's about leadership and the shadow that's cast by our leaders um, through through faith. And I love the fact that you're bringing that faith piece in. Andy, on the same vein of partnership, I want to ask you. Um, you spoke er- a bit earlier about food insecurity and that real that focus of we've got to target that population. Um, working to really tackle that challenge, can you offer just a handful of specific examples? that United Healthcare is doing to in partnering with others to address the access to healthy whole foods, not the processed foods that we know are really killing our population, but the healthy whole not foods. Not the easy to get ones, right? No, uh, no, thank you, Dr. Stewart. And I think uh, I would point to uh, a few things probably. So first of all, we are extremely proud of our uh, partnership and support of the Mid-South Food Bank uh, and our partnership uh, with with Dr. Morris and, and Church Health, and so I think you know fundamentally, I will tell you that that our focus now is on creating these partnerships in the community, right? Because if we are going to increase and expand access for food. Uh, for our members and for everyone in the community, that is a very localized thing uh, that we need to be able to create those community partnerships to do. So, so that's one where I think we are um, just couldn't be more proud about our, our partnership there where we are literally getting healthier, fresher foods uh, to, to the people of Memphis. Um, two other things I would mention, uh, Dr. Stewart, that, that we are, are heavily engaged in. Um, one is thinking about what can we do as a managed care organization, right, as a health insurer, uh, to uh, expand and do more around uh, uh, both advocacy and enrollment for SNAP benefits. Uh, one of the things that we have learned is that, you know, for every uh, meal a food bank uh, serves, there is somewhere, depending on the community, between eight and 20 some odd meals that are provided uh, through SNAP benefits. And so that is an area when you start talking about kind of eligibility for programs uh, and those sorts of things, we do eligibility all day long. Uh, and so we are looking at ways that we can not take it on ourselves, but who can we partner with in the community on some of the uh, SNAP enrollment uh, and engagement. So that's kind of more on the system and, and how do we get more more of our members and more members across the community uh, who are eligible uh, enrolled in in SNAP and and getting those really critical uh, benefits. Uh, The third thing that I would say that we are looking to do uh, is thinking about uh, working with our United Health Group Treasury team. Uh, Where can we make actually investments in expanding and strengthening both the food supply chain and the food delivery chain to where it needs to get to? Right, it, 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 the food supply chain does okay getting to my uh, Whole Foods in Southwest Minneapolis, but it does a really, really bad job of getting a whole other set of other places. Um, and so we're, we're looking at ways that we can invest in, in the organizations that are, that are uh, growing the food and then supporting those organizations that are working on kind of the packaging and, and, and delivery and distribution of that food. That's fantastic. I really appreciate those, those examples. Um, there's, a, there's a parallel question that just came in from Mike Kime. If people eat the foods government subsidizes that are typically less healthy, I'm interested in whether insurers like United Health Care 
have considered using their lobbying power to direct gov governmental farm subsidies towards more healthy fruits and vegetables versus corn, grain, and rice? It's a big question um, and, and a tricky one to, to, to tackle, but you were speaking about kind of um, it ties, it ties into um, your the potential intersection with your treasury team. So just some thoughts yep. on that. And so, so, so I think that's right. And I think we are, I actually, uh, I am not on our external affairs team, but I do work with them some, um, uh, but I will kind of try to stay in my lane. But I think I think we are actually uh, exploring ways that, that we can and try to push on, on having healthier foods. Another thing I can tell you that, that we have done, um, especially uh, through COVID, we ended up um, actually sending uh, weeks worth of meals over and over to tens of thousands of our members. Uh, and I ended up um, by hook or crook being the person to, to lead that initiative. And, and one of the things that we did was uh, try to ensure that we were choosing food items uh, that were healthy. And, and in addition, what we also did was we also worked with our, our grocery partners uh, and developed uh, both kind of diabetes specific food meal programs, uh, as well as heart health uh, programs. And so uh, we have done uh, some of that in our, in our own work where we have uh, worked uh, on the food delivery side. And I would say similarly, we do uh, a decent amount of work with an organization called Mom's Meals. Uh, and similarly are thinking about, okay, if we're going to do this, we need to ensure that we are doing two things. One, that we are providing the healthiest, freshest food possible that we can do. And also, wherever possible, providing that, that food uh, in a condition-specific way, right? Uh, and in terms of uh, people with diabetes or people with, with heart conditions and the like. Uh, and I think there's, uh, you know, Quite a bit of evidence out there that that suggests that that these kind of what we would call medically tailored meals uh, can have a real impact on on the health outcomes uh, for folks. That's a great segue to my question to you, Dr. Morris, and that is, you know, you have created, as we've already mentioned earlier and shown through the video and your brief explanation of church health, you've created a really unique model of care, holistic, community-based. Can you speak to um, having the privilege of, of touring Church Health and spending many, many um, hours with your team? I'd love for you to expand and just share the importance about connecting into the school system and, and just kind of your, your odd partner in healthcare, the classic conventional healthcare. Yeah, so the, the problem, uh, particularly in dealing with poor people, which is, you know, our, our niche are people working in low wage jobs who don't have health insurance. Um, not only not having health insurance, they also don't have a lot of time. Um, they don't have a lot of time to cook food. They don't have a lot of time to, to deal with these issues. Um, and they like it the way they like it. So, so you've already uh, alluded to the issue of changing behavior. It, changing behavior is, is not an easy thing. And yet what happens in a traditional healthcare system, I mean, I'm a family doctor. Um, you know, doctors like me are incredibly good at shooting all over people. You know, you should do this, you should do that. And that doesn't work. I mean, you, you can't make that happen. So um, within our nutrition programs, once people are at the doctor's office, we think this is a great way um, to actually impact people's nutritional habits, but you have to do it in a partnership. It, it can't just be pushing people in a direction. So 
So you um, uh, reference collard greens. Um, we spent $20,000, not, not making that up, to come up with a, a recipe uh, for collard greens that tastes like it has a pound of fat back in it. Now, I will put our recipe up against anybody's grandmother, um, but we want people to enjoy the taste um, because just telling people that they should eat it is not going to make them eat it. Even if we could change what government subsidies are, it doesn't mean people are going to change their eating habits just because we tell them to. So we have to find a way to walk hand in glove with people. So whether that's with the school and all of our other partners we have here, but to realize that the doctor is only one piece of the puzzle, um, a very important piece. Uh, again, we, we will argue that the faith community may be the strongest element there is in order to bring about behavioral change, because especially in the South, no question, the most trusted person is the clergy person, not the doctor, the clergy person. And we have watched it happen in churches over and over and over again. Once the pastor changed what uh, he, and in, in Memphis is mostly he, um, is eating, miraculously, the rest of the congregation changes. So we have to find a way to do that. Now, now the other thing that we have done, and, and this is uh, a, a unintended consequence of COVID, um, our dietitians, uh, we are never going to have in-person meetings with our dietitians ever again. Um, telehealth has made it possible for our dietitians to actually meet with the patient in that person's kitchen. And we can literally look into their refrigerator, see what they're eating, and then based on what they already have, help come up with a recipe that might be healthier than what they were going to have that night. I mean, th these are all things we believe that the healthcare system needs to find a way to change. Um, and, and it's got to be driven by uh, helping people ultimately accomplish what, what we believe are the goals for living that lead people to be healthy. And those are three things, having more joy in your life, having more love in your life, and driving people closer to those things greater than they are. We, we would call that God. But if that is the outcome for healthy living, more joy, more love, being driven closer to God, it's not the way we do it right now. Um, giving people pills, doing more tests, uh, leading to the absence of disease, that, that is not what people want. And in order for us to actually achieve these issues, food is probably the most important thing that we can rally around and, and bring about healthier outcomes. Yeah. Food brings so, so many folks together. There's no, there's no question about that. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate your, your bringing up um, COVID. So we're right, we're still in the middle of this pretty intense pandemic and actually highlighting a, a silver lining that's come out of COVID. I think it's important um, to pause and reflect on, on when some things are, are good. Um, so Andy, I'm gonna, I want to switch over, over to you. Um, thinking about health improvement, health outcomes, lifestyle changes. Dr. Morris was talking about people who, the clergy who can lead the way. Did this lead, lifestyle changes and true impact take years to get to an ideal state? How does this reconcile with the 12-month business cycle that health plans are on? 
Uh, excellent question, Dr. Stewart, and and, and the, the short answer clearly it's not easy, right? Because there is uh, in any managed care organization, other organizations, you know, you have your annual uh, marks that you are are looking to meet. That said, I think we have. Uh, a capability and a responsibility and, and we are actually thinking about how how do we work very hard to to balance those and, and i would mention a, a couple of things i think one is one is the notion of being a good steward in our community uh, and, and supporting our members and ensuring that we're doing um, the very best by them uh, in that year, I will tell you, Tanya Ray, is most importantly from where I said, it is the, it is the prudent and right thing to do. Um, but from a business perspective, it is also beneficial to be a good partner to your, to your state agencies, you know, where we have contracts with state Medicaid agencies where we are being good stewards and, and being really uh, thoughtful and intentional partners in our community, um, you know, just to be very candid, that does have business value as well. So I think I think you can can get both of those uh, in a lot of respects. And, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, there are a number of cases where you know, where we have, uh, and we are privileged to serve them, but we have members over years and years, if not decades, right? And so these are also, you know, there will be people that that, that uh, come off of your plan or go on to a different plan. Um, but we also see uh, an enormous number of people who, who are our members that we're privileged to serve year after year, decade over decade. Uh, and so uh, there, I think we can actually make even more of that stronger case, uh, Dr. Stewart, to your point that for that fairly large subset of folks, uh, even thinking about that, uh, you don't you you don't necessarily have to reconcile to that twelve months because you know the X percent are going to be your member next year and the year after and the year after. And if you start thinking about multiple years out, right? It's to be clear, it's very hard to quantify that. But we do know it. We our, our our folks also do know that it is it is a, a reality when you think about it from a medical economics perspective. That if, if we are making some of these investments and engaging with these partners uh, now, that we are going to create better health outcomes and and reduce not only costly but I would say unnecessary inappropriate utilization of care down the road. Excellent. I thank you for that. You're, you're giving me some hope there, Andy. Um, I, you know, I do. I want to ask both of you. So I'm going to give you guys some time to think about this. Um, it's a data question. So Scott, first to you. How are you tracking the outcomes? This is a you know, at, at Church Health, outcomes um, are crit. Well, I should say across health uh, healthcare, outcomes are critical. So how are you guys tracking it and then really proving the case that this is the right investment to make? Look, for, for a lot of charities like, like us, I mean, we, and there's no question we are a charity. I mean, we have to raise $20 million a year to keep our doors open. And, and we have to um, uh, go and, and uh, make our case to, to people who are going to support us year after year after year. Um, it cannot just be about anecdotal stories. Um, it is very important for us to create real data that demonstrates that the work we do uh, is making a difference, not just for one person, but in a, uh, in a greater way. So we have developed a number of, um, of measures that are in some ways unique to us, but I think exactly uh, what uh, 
both funders want to have and be able to demonstrate that the work we're doing matters. So, for example, in our dental clinic, um, my, my favorite measure we have there is called job up. Um, so people come to us on a regular basis with their mouth is a total disaster. When you look at them and you go, oh, my God, it, I mean, we've all seen people like that. Um, it, it makes you cringe. Uh, but so when that person comes to see us, they give us verification of their income. How much money are you making? Now, we do full restorative dentistry. We're, we're not just about pulling teeth, but we are going to give that person their, their smile back. And as a result, we actually have measures to demonstrate how it improves their self-esteem. But we also, we're going to fix your mouth. And then a year later, how much money are you making? So we have real data to show that by improving a person's smile, they will actually get a better job. Um, that, that's the sort of thing that we think um, is critical for our ability to be able to tell our donors that, look, this actually does change people's lives. Yeah, it's that unique thinking and that unique approach, I think, that, that we all need. We need to be inspired by just kind of shifting our view. Andy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop, pop it over to you on the data question. Not a lot of folks realize that United Healthcare actually started out as a data analytics company back in the 70s, not even insurance at all. So data is a core capability at United yes. Healthcare. So how are you guys using data to target where to focus the resources yeah. for food and nutrition to help very specific populations? You can't, you know, butter, do a, a, a spread across else. all. Right. So how do you guys right. do that? No, so I, I uh, and I will absolutely answer that question. I just want to say, if, if anyone disbelieves that everything is interconnected, which is what I think, all you need to hear is hear Dr. Morris talk about getting somebody a smile and knowing for a fact they got a better job, right? I mean, so the interconnection between employment, healthcare, housing, et cetera, it's just, it's all completely inextricable. So uh, I just want to thank Dr. Morris for, for making that comment. So from a, a data uh, perspective, and, and you are right, Dr. Stewart, uh, United Healthcare um, is actually, or United Health Group, I should say, is made up of two large organizations, United Healthcare, which is a managed, which is a health insurance company, and Optum, which is our data analytics business services uh, organization. And, and we have enormous capabilities, uh, both within United Healthcare and Optum, on the data analytics side. Um, and so I would share uh, a couple of uh, examples for you for your consideration. First, on, on thinking about like how do we target, right? Where do you go? Um, one of the things that I'm working very closely with our team at Optimon uh, is uh, a, basically a tool that predicts social isolation. Uh, it has nearly an 85% confidence interval, so we're not perfect, but but if you get it right 85% of the time in that type of business work, you're doing you're doing well. Um, and so uh, it's probably not a big of a stretch to think folks who are experiencing extreme social isolation, the likelihood that they are eating a diverse set of healthy, good, fresh foods is probably uh, not high. And so we're looking at... at um, analytics like that that we have uh, to then identify and highlight members that we need to do additional outreach and support to, right? So if we realize we have X number of people, uh, we have a strong sense that they're experiencing 
very substantial social social isolation. Uh, we have our community health workers and other folks uh, go out, um, you know, right now, call, text, et cetera, email, but, um, but uh, before COVID and at some point in the future, go out and, and, and meet with our members uh, and, and, and connect them to the, the supports they need, both from a healthcare perspective, but very importantly, we send them out there with a, there's some healthcare components, but there's likely food issues, like loneliness issues and other things that we want uh, them to be working on. So I think we have um, reasonably strong tools actually for thinking about that on the front end, right? How do we do the targeting uh, of where we can do it? To your point, we can't butter every loaf as it were, unfortunately. Um, and then on the, the back side of it, I would say that we uh, absolutely have analytic tools um, and I'm actually working in another community right now uh, on an initiative where we will actually be tracking. We are going to be providing medically tailored meals uh, on a weekly basis uh, to a subset of members that we've identified. Uh, and we will be able to, to track the impact um, that them having not only, I think really importantly, not only getting the meals, but also having some sort of interaction with somebody else uh, once or twice a week when they get their meals. That's a really key component of it, I would say. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think we'll be able to look uh, from a medical economics perspective uh, as we look out six months, 12 months, what impact did that have, right? Did we, did we, were we able to control diabetes uh, better? What other things could we look at? And we absolutely have those, those metrics that we'll be able to, to look at to, to both hopefully Mac, uh, track our outcomes and then refine and do better. Awesome. I appreciate that. So we are coming into the, the final speed round of today's conversation. Uh, 60 seconds to each of you for your final thoughts. So what would you ask listeners? What can they do today to impact or make a difference in access to healthy whole foods in their community? Or you can answer the question, it's a free-for-all. What's one thing we didn't talk about that you wish we had? Dr. Morris, you first. So look, um, children are the answer to this question. Um, so here at Church Health, uh, we have observed that by changing a child's desire to eat food, it changes the entire family's uh, uh, action. So uh, we have a, we created a book called Alphabet Appetite. We teach three and four-year-olds the alphabet through nutrition. So we work our way through the alphabet. So A, Tanya stands for a spirit. Apple. A spirit. <laughs> and, um, spirit. Oh shoot, I got it wrong, asparagus. Yeah. So, but if a three or four-year-old wants to be eating asparagus, I guarantee you mom will go figure out how to get asparagus. So oh, that's awesome. Pact of children, um, I think has more to do with how we change people's eating habits than anything else. Beautiful. Andy, you're up. I, I can't beat that, but my, my two quick comments, uh, Dr. Stewart, would be one, food is medicine, period. Uh, so folks need to understand that uh, when we figured out that housing was healthcare, it took us two decades. It can't take us two decades to everyone be clear that food is medicine. So that's my first message. And so Andy, second, I just want to add good food is good medicine. Bad food is bad medicine. Very well said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and the other thing I would say is that collaboration and partnership 
along with the kids is the only way we get there, right? Like we are a community-based organization, a enormous enterprise the size of United Healthcare. We'll never ever accomplish any of this on our own. So, so collaborate and partner in your communities. Beautiful. Thank you everyone, both of you for participating in this conversation today. We hope you enjoyed this afternoon's Food is Health Forum. More importantly, we hope you learned something and we hope you made valuable connections that can help you with collaborative solutions going forward. Help us keep the conversation going by registering for our bi-weekly 